You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your your fearless leader, I guess. I, I don't know what I am. I am but a man. You're losing confidence. We don't know what you are either. So, uh. <laughs> and I'm joined, as always, by hecklers, uh, Sean and Rick. So on today's episode, we really wanted to focus on something that we decided to really make a full-on effort into, which is developing our Facebook community. We wanted to talk about why and you know why why now why we decided to really jump in and what benefits we see i guess what benefits you as a listener will be able to reap and where we see it going community yeah so we created that facebook group a long time ago but it sort of sat dormant there i think one of the main problems was my facebook account sort of got indefinitely banned by facebook so i was like i was waiting for a long time to get my account back never got it back so i just created a new account and that's just what I had to do so i think that's one reason that sort of killed it early on in our process and then just got busy but it's good that we have a community now because it's ridiculous that we're saying you need to build a community we don't have one ourselves (laughs) it's funny because uh i i lost an account too so it seems to be uh (laughs) when you get into the advertising of facebook they they have like that little automated system it just doesn't like you and just likes to ban you and then you have to Hope the Facebook uh, gods come and fix your account. Well, what they haven't told you is that yeah. in order to use their services, you have to enable two-factor authentication and verify your ID. They don't say it, but if you don't do those things, you're going to get banned at some yeah. stage. And, and so. you have to act like a average Facebook user because apparently that's what I got a response from after they banned my account that I was not acting like an average Facebook user. Clicking all the ads. <laughs> yeah, I got banned one time from Facebook for some violation. And at the time, this was probably two years ago. At the time, I kind of just started this uh, marketing and, and whatnot, maybe like just under two years ago. I remember the specific account I was working on was um, this game that was basically a game about collecting little stones and rescuing the rainbow. It was like a LARP game for like little girls and my little kids loved it, but my account got banned when I was marketing it and they kept charging the client money for the ads that were running, but there was no other administrator on my company account. So I couldn't actually change anything. I couldn't stop the ads. I couldn't do anything. And I was freaking out. And of course, the client that I was working for, I was working for like four clients or something at the time. And all of them, only one of them knew about it, but my account got banned and are just unable to run ads. And uh, it took me 48 hours, but I finally got it back. And the way that I got it back was so stupid. It was, I, I sent a message to Facebook apologizing um, for my wrong behavior and they reinstated my account. And the reason that I got banned was because I advocated for organized crime because the game called Legions of Steel that I was marketing at the time, a really great guy, uh, Marco Picota, that runs Legions of Steel. There's evidently a hacker group called Legion and Facebook's automated algorithm conflated Legion of Steel with Legion, the hacker group. And I was talking positively about Legions of Steel, so they banned me. So I had to actually go to Facebook support, uh, fill out a form that basically said, hey, I'm sorry for 
doing, I found a video that was like, do it this way. It's dumb, but you have to do it this way where I apologized for my, uh, not speaking negative of terrorist organizations and that I wouldn't, uh, violate this rule again and please reinstate my account. And it was within 24 hours. And immediately I got some redundancy. That's where I learned the value of redundancy. You have to have multiple admin accounts or more, you know, just for us as a company, I mean, we've got several accounts. I mean, my wife's account, which is deactivated half the time, uh, her Facebook account, she hops on Facebook, then she'll hop off, you know, and um, her account is an administrator on ours. So if I ever needed to, I could always, you know, if she, if it was deactivated, I could reactivate it and then go in and edit the client things and make sure that the show, the show keeps going uh, while I'm dealing with this Facebook nonsense. For you nerds out there, uh, that's called, we, we have alt tunes out there now that are, uh, that yeah. are working on our behalf. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. There's uh sexy Irish Sean is an account. Irish sexy Sean, Sean, sexy Irish. Brad Sean food. Or Brad Food, Sean. <laughs> I I have uh, three. Well, I had three accounts. I have two accounts, but they all have the same name. Facebook doesn't care if you use the same name. I guess. Yeah, um, it's no unique names out there, so they both say yeah. uh, my name. The joys of working with an eight hundred pound gorilla. Sometimes he just decides to smash, and you can't really do much. Well, the, one of the most annoying things is because we had some clients of ours who had their ad accounts banned. That's when we really understood that you have to enable two-factor authentication and you have to verify your ID because they didn't do that and they're asking on being banned. And you eventually do chase Facebook up and you you get to some type of correspondence with them. It's a bot that gives you some automated message that jangled English. All they say is you violated our terms of service and they make the terms of service. That's all they, they don't tell you anything specific. It's just yep. so, so frustrating. If the only specific thing they tell you is that this decision is final and there's no way to reverse it. Yeah. Yes. So, like, and that. on top of that, even if you have two-factor authentication and provide your ID, which I did, it still doesn't guarantee anything because my account never came back. They don't like you. They know too much about you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and uh, it's funny, but we we do have a lot of experience circumnavigating bans and solving those problems. So if you have an issue, you're always welcome to reach out. We'll probably give you advice that won't work, but, you know, it might work. I've gotten myself out of Google a couple times already, so I got that one down. Talking about this community, at the moment, it's called Crowdfunding Nerds Kickstarter Marketing Community. We're going to change it to Crowdfunding Nerds Tabletop Marketing Community because we have tons of people that work in RPGs, that work in board games and other things like that. And we just want to be inclusive enough that... Or we say gaming community because we want want to get those video gamers as well. We don't exclude them. Yeah, I was going to say, we got some clients that uh, would be pretty sad if we... uh excluded them. Well, maybe we should just be the crowdfunding nerds marketing community. I don't know. If you guys have a good suggestion, then give it. I have 28 days before I can change it again. So, <laughs> so Facebook, uh, will, it, will it ban you for changing your name too many times? No, it just doesn't let you change it again. Uh, for, you know, you can only change it like once a month, basically. So if you even have like a begrudged admin who leaves the group, usually they change the group name to something nasty before they leave. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in Facebook groups where that's happened. I will make sure I'm the only admin. No, (laughs) actually the, um, the issue with the only admin is one of the reasons why I kind of decided to focus on this group because there is another group on Facebook called Tabletop Game Kickstarter Advice. And that has probably 7,500 people. I don't know, something like that. And maybe nine, I don't know, maybe it's 9,000 some odd people. And 
the only admin evidently well it was james Matthew. and james Matthew is a board game uh, industry professional who passed away about two years ago and when he passed away he i mean all of the facebook groups that he managed you know ceased having an admin uh, because there was no other admin i guess he was uh maybe didn't trust people or something like that and so the group is at risk of deletion at any in any day any moment it could just be gone and so they were trying to get everybody to jump over to another group so that the show would go on and i thought well i mean might as well just give people an alternative for marketing you know their their group is specifically for you know any kind of kickstarter advice i figure you know we're in that space too and why not so that's kind of what prompted me to to really just go for it and there are a bunch of different groups out there i just feel like you know there's there's one group that i feel like does a really really great job in um this space which is for board games it's the board game design lab i think they do a really great job a uh, very positive place to be and so i thought i'd i'd really like to have a place where people could could come and you know just discuss all things related to crowdfunding and so that's that's what we're doing we just i mean i know that there are probably alternatives out there but you know we have this podcast we have we work in this industry every day and i thought you know if anybody can do it well and actually provide direction and that sort of thing i think we're in a position to do that so i mean if you're listening to this right now and you use facebook um search up the crowdfunding nerds uh community and it's crowdfunding nerds kickstarter marketing community at the moment but just crowdfunding nerds community and you should be able to find it so yeah i figure i i could kind of share the only rules number one don't be a jerk it's pretty much covers half of the rules don't be a jerk and it's like the provide context it's like the pc or the, the family friendly version of will wheaton's one rule yes <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so um well, if there you goes my context, membership jeez i know i know but if you provide a con context to why you're being a jerk then it might be awesome so i think the the other thing that i found that is so prevalent in these groups is self-promotion and spam and for me I have appreciation for people linking their Kickstarter campaigns and that sort of thing. But if they're linking it just because it's another place that people might be interested in buying their Kickstarter, oftentimes you can just tell that based on the way that they share. I mean, it's oftentimes just, you know, copy paste the link. So I thought I want to give people some latitude to post, but I want to also require that they would Get, provide context for why they're sharing. So in particular, you know, we do allow limited and respectful self-promotion. I hate when people just outright ban self-promotion. It's so yeah. subjective. Half the time self-promotion gets through, but when you post, it doesn't because ah, you're being a you know, self-promotion monster. So and you yeah, have to so. recognize that people need to self-promote and that's why they're, they're on the internet, right? And it, it doesn't all have to be negative. It can be very helpful and constructive so and we've yeah. all been there right i think you know there's been groups where we've had to self-promote so exactly we all need to eat and we're all consumers so whatever you promote i might be interested in and it's certainly and the reason i find it valuable is because it could certainly be used as a lesson for others in anything that you do if you can provide context that teaches us why this is valuable and why we should pay attention to it i don't mind what the link 
is necessarily, I mean, you know, within reason. So the, the main thing I want is for people to give more than they take. If they just, you share your Kickstarter and it's your very first post in the group, then it's getting deleted probably. But if, if you share and ask for feedback or whatever, I mean, there are plenty of people that only care about marketing or these types of groups when their Kickstarter is active. They're like, oh, I don't know what to do, but you know, they're not trying to be sketchy or whatever that maybe they just don't know how to do it any better so if we teach them how to give some context you know anything posted with with clear context that tells us why we should pay attention or how we can help you or that kind of thing is is allowed it should be yeah i think we could even add some topics or a hashtag a trend where we say something like you know kickstarter page feedback or game found page feedback and then people can then post and then the community can chip in and that way you're promoting your game, right? Because then you're just getting feedback that can help you. Basically, Will Wheaton's don't be a, a jerk. <laughs> don't be a silly Billy. <laughs> yeah, don't be, don't be a cotton-headed knee muggins. Don't be a Richard. <laughs> don't be a Richard. What? Hey, hey, hey. I represent that. So we have automated member approvals and this is actually more of a strategy that you might want to implement in your own community, but we allow anybody to join as long as they answer all of the questions. I don't care how you answer them. I only care that you do answer them. And otherwise your membership would be pending. Now uh, we had somebody actually ask us, why don't you ask for an email address? Uh, because uh, you know, in the past, many times we've advocated in this in the virtuous cycle, which is episode fourteen. If you're unfamiliar, go listen to it. It's the most valuable episode we put out. I think we talked about how you need to have kind of this loop of you know, if somebody joins your Facebook group, give them the ability to provide your uh, you an email address so that you can add them to your email list that they that you can communicate with them across as many mediums as possible. Well. Our only question is, do you love the Crowdfunding Nerds podcast? And the answers are yes. No way. That sounds like the worst. And I'll check it out. I don't care what you answer. It's just kind of being cheeky. Um, but if you do, then you're in. So the reason that I don't ask for the email address is because, number one, we're already doing this podcast and I want more people to know about it. Two, we're already doing this podcast and I don't want any more work to do. Another... <laughs> Email list curation. It sounds like the, you know miserable. We did. Ha we we were automating the the episode post via email. I don't know if that's still going out though. Did we stop that? I'm not sure. I think I think probably is still getting automated. But but the bottom line is that the most valuable way that people can connect with us is by simply listening to this podcast. And you know that's that's what I think. And via this podcast, all other things will kind of be disseminated over time. If we have a course, if we have whatever, I feel like the podcast is probably the best way to get people to pay attention to other things. And, you know, now between the Facebook community and the podcast and whatnot, I, I think that that's, that's, that's the way we decided to go. So, you know, as far as the Facebook community, I just, I envision it as something that can just help more people. There are so many clients that we work with that ask really amazing questions. But when we help one person, it just, I mean, it doesn't help everybody, I guess. And the more that we can share information that helps, you know, multiple amounts of people at the same time, I think that's really what the Facebook community can do. Yeah. One, one of the other things that I think is really exciting about our community for, for us and for this, this podcast is that, you know, we just kind of talk about what we are dealing with 
that week. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the hottest topic that our community would find most valuable. So one of the things that we want to use our community for is just to kind of hear from you. To that end, every week we're going to ask, you know, what burning crowdfunding questions do you have? And I would like to answer them on, you know, on a podcast that, you know, we might answer shortly or, you know, like a, a, sorry, an abbreviated version, or maybe just to get through all the questions, or maybe we'll just, you know, dedicate an entire podcast episode once a month to that, or maybe we'll dedicate an entire podcast episode to a single question, but we really want to engage with you and hear what types of things, you know, are, are burning, you know, needs that we can address. So go to the community and uh, just the crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook and ask a question. We will probably feature that on an upcoming podcast. So we have a couple of questions already. I don't know if you can see it. Andreas asked GameFound, how to move to it when you have a fan base at Kickstarter? What types of campaigns work on GameFound versus Kickstarter? How it affects marketing and so forth. Yeah, that's a good one. And um, I would say first thing that comes to mind is to just go listen to the GameFound, our interview we did with the GameFound CEO, Marcin, and uh, let me let me try the last name, Marcin Swirkot. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, all right. So he really addressed this. And I think that first thing, you know, how to move to GameFound when you have a fan base at Kickstarter. Number one, your Kickstarter people can still get messages from your old campaigns. So I think that that's a really big deal. And then number two, you should have an email list that can communicate with these people already, hopefully a Facebook community of some kind, maybe a Discord, other communities. But the the fact that you're launching on GameFound, I actually see as a big benefit technology-wise. They're just light years ahead of Kickstarter. It's a much easier site to use for a new user. And if you have your audience that likes your stuff, they'll move with you. The key, I think, is just really to make sure that they are passionate about that new project. You can, you know, there are a lot of campaigns that I see, you know, someone going from even staying on Kickstarter where they have one campaign that deals with one type of game and then they have their next campaign is an entirely different wildly different genre of game that has nothing to do with the first game that they marketed and they just launch whether it's kickstarter or game found they're like why am i not doing well it's because your audience wasn't super excited about what you had i think that if an audience is really excited and motivated to you know uh, about your project you can launch it on kickstarter or game found and you should fund the first day the or you know quickly but the difference I would say is that GameFound doesn't have the same amount of traffic as Kickstarter. So less people are likely to discover it unless, you know, your campaign becomes very popular. What, what would you say about that? I'd say yes and no. One, one reason I, I just from marketing Skyrim, Awaken Realms really go out their way to help projects on the platform. They do send out an email under the last 48 hours to everyone on the, on the platform saying, hey, these are these are projects that are about to end. So even though there might not be a lot of people on the site live, or I'm sure there's lots of people in their email list or in there that they, that they can basically reach. So and they, and they do a really great job of helping you push your game on the platform and uh, on socials as well. They do organic stuff. They do paid stuff. So I've been, just from what I've heard from Pedifius and how they've interacted and interfaced with Awakened Realms, 
sounds like they're doing a really good job. So yeah, there are significant weaknesses, but there's also significant benefits. And I think that those things are only going to improve with time. And I think the culture around GameFound is only going to improve with time. I legitimately see GameFound just becoming like the space where board gamers go or tabletop gamers go. You might even see the need for Facebook disappearing because people will be in communities within GameFound, like they're in communities on Discord or communities on Facebook groups or wherever. You might actually start seeing that all in one one place on GameFound. So it's, it's really exciting times. That's a cool prediction. I'm actually excited to talk a little bit more about oh, that. That's my prediction. I, I've actually seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> you claim it. So what types of campaigns work on GameFound versus Kickstarter? We haven't really covered that. Yeah, so I would say that the CEO of GameFound answered that pretty well. But what, what I pulled from the conversation was that games that have a name, they're really kind of a destination, just like in a mall you know, like a physical store, there are destination stores where people will go to a mall with the specific intent to visit a store. And then all of the other stores alongside the, you know, let's say, I don't know, um, I have this, like Red Robin is, is a restaurant at the mall. And I love that place. They have the absolute best onion rings and um, really good burgers and stuff and big fat steak fries that I love. And we'll go there and because we're there at the mall, we'll walk around and we'll go to Cinnabon and we'll go to wherever and sometimes spend money. You know, at one time we ended up getting a massage at a uh, you know, Thai guy, Thai masseuse. That's right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, I think I talked about that in like episode five or whatever. But the idea is that certain campaigns are going to be destination campaigns where they have a big name like Skyrim. Uh, you're going to go. You don't care, probably, if you love Skyrim, you don't care where that campaign is. If it's on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or GameFound, you're just going to go check it out. But the the other campaigns that are, we'll say, unknowns, you know, if you're a first-time creator, maybe a second-time creator with a small intellectual, you know, it's something that's not an intellectual property. It's like uh, just a, a, you know, maybe it's a passion project, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have a name attached to it. I would say that something like that would be a little more challenging to fund on GameFound uh, because there are just less people searching and you have let you're less likely to become a hit out of nowhere. Like, for example, one game that did really well last year was um, I believe it's called Endless Winter and it deals with like paleo Americans and had really cool art style and whatnot. They made uh, like a million dollars. They actually reached out to us. Uh, they were referred to us to market them and we just weren't able to fit it into our schedule. And they launched, and they made a million dollars. It's like, well, you know, that would have been nice to have that campaign under our belt. But that was just a, a smashing success on Kickstarter. It kind of went viral. And there's another one which uh, that comes to mind called Darwin's Journey that became very, very popular and raised a lot of money. I felt like, you know, maybe a campaign like that, you know, everyone wants their campaign to go viral. Even something like Deliverance, which it has a a different type of appeal, but it might not have done as well on GameFound just because of the user base. You know, a lot of people discovered those games because the, the passionate fans talked about it and the other people were on Kickstarter anyway. They just jumped all over it. Here's my other projection of GameFound. It sort of jumps off the back of our discussion with Chris Birch on the previous episode, where he talked about how with large IPs like Star Trek or you know Fallout, is that 
the idea of Kickstarter leaves a bad taste in the mouth because Kickstarter has the annotation of basically, we need money, we need help with this. So what I predict is that you're going to start seeing bigger IPs, larger IPs launching on GameFound instead, because I think GameFound is going to build a reputation of this is where you find games, not, mm-hmm. hey, we need help, we need money to start kickstart this idea. So I do, I do think that we'll start seeing larger IPs come to GameFound, which will probably then bring the, the smaller guys on as well. I totally agree with that prediction. I'm going to second the prediction so that I can get partial credit <laughs> when it comes to next year. That doesn't um, count. I third it. <laughs> now, like I said, I'm not an expert on GameFound. I haven't used the back end. However, though, I have seen the front end and I've seen what games are going on there. And GameFound isn't a fly-by-night. It's it's legit. And the, the amount of money, which I'm surprised, like, for example, right now, um, the Skyrim game, I think it's, I don't know what, what it is now. They're breaking last, pounds. Have they broke it yet? Um, I know they were pretty close uh, last time I looked. A million, not dollars, uh, British pounds. And so... I mean, that's that's a lot higher in American money. So, I mean, that's a lot of money for a board. It's a board game. And it's it hit over a million. It's it's over a million US dollars for sure. That's a powerhouse. And it's on GameFound. It's not on, it's not on Kickstarter. So I think uh, they got a very, very uh, big future ahead of them. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very interesting because they, you know, really didn't need, we'll say they didn't really need the funding. In order to make this, they they needed the marketing. That's really what it was. It's like it's a more of a marketing technique, and I think that that is what companies are recognizing in in Kickstarter. I think that board games in general are. I'll say. I hope this doesn't offend anyone with red hair, but the redheaded stepchild of Kickstarter, where it does. You know, Kickstarter generates about a third of its revenue from board games. It might even be higher than that. But they, you know, just by far more than any other category and board games of, you know, with big IPs and, you know, companies that are veteran companies use it. Like, for example, Simon launching a Marvel game um, like Marvel Zombicide, which is coming. That is they, they don't need the money. They need the marketing. It's like a marketing amplifier. It just helps their audience spread the message of this thing existing far and wide. And that's not really where what Kickstarter was founded on. They, they were founded on the idea of bringing projects to life that could never come to life. Otherwise it's like the indie project, you know, and Simon is a publicly traded company over in Singapore. Right. So it's not like they're small and you know, they can afford the Marvel IP. So they better be able to, to print the thing. So it's just one of those things that I haven't seen the same level of support as far as like development and I don't know, other things like that, that I do, or rather maybe more of an emphasis and a focus the way that I do from GameFound for things like that. So I I do think that GameFound will be known as the place where big IPs and huge projects go to get funding. And consequently, it's very, very interesting to me as a backer. I am quite excited about you know wh- what GameFound holds as far as you know checking it every single week just to see what new things are there. Kickstarter does one thing well, but that's the only thing they do well. I mean, they only do one thing. People need more than one solution. Like that's just one aspect of your entire from start to finish project. 
And, you know, like other big companies like Facebook, you know, they started as just post your picture and a status and blah, blah, blah. And now they have like dating and online marketplace and all this other stuff because they realize that if they if they got you for this one thing, they can get you for all these other things and they can expand and keep you on their site. That's the whole point. Now, Kickstarter has done that at the beginning, but they haven't like they're just sort of to me, I think they're getting a little stagnant. It's they just do the one thing and that's it. And if you're building a board game and you need the support afterwards, they're not going to provide it. So then you go to GameFound, you know, for your for your for your other like things. The pledge manager but, and and GameFound right? also was a one a one thing only when they started, and that was the, you know the game manager. And now they've expanded into the step before it, which is the you know the crowdfunding part. And so I can see them keep you know keep adding modules to get you know from start to finish. In fact, they also I believe they do marketing services and stuff too don't they yeah that's what sean was saying is like part of that is the support that they can provide right yes yeah i think they they might not do this with everyone they might only do it for larger projects but they run facebook ads so eventually uh, they will do everything and then they'll put us out of business the end (laughs) (laughs) you may not know how kickstarter works you may not know how other things work you may not know what you have to do and your time is tied up on a lot of these other things, these different you know systems and whatnot to get your game going. And you want to focus on your game where if there's a company that goes from everywhere from start to finish and has everything and you only have to provide your information once and everything set up once and does the whole thing, I'd, you know, I'd be right there. It's, it's, I mean, it is what it is. It's uh, you need, you know, people need full service solutions and they're only getting the one step at Kickstarter. So yeah, I, I believe GameFound is going to, uh, do phenomenal this uh, this upcoming year. And you know, one other thing that I think is very interesting about GameFound is that they are built for specifically games, the way that games work. People want stretch goals. They want, you know, they want to see content unlocking. They want to see reasons that, you know, they should back now and not later. Um, they want to feel like they're a part of the community and, and that sort of thing. And I think GameFound has really leaned into that. That's not the way that it started. You know, games didn't used to really have stretch goals. Some people elect not to do stretch goals. And I I think it's now to their own hurt, unless a campaign is just so big that they don't, you know, I mean, like uh, Frosthaven is is probably the last successful example I can think of of a campaign that was like, we don't have stretch goals. Everything is what it is in the box. I think that the uh, that company, Cephalo Fair Games, their crowd kind of grew to expect that because Gloomhaven, the first printing, didn't have stretch goals. The second printing didn't have stretch goals. What they do have are daily unlocks, though. And everybody that backs gets a, you know, gets to have that daily unlock. And they also do other fun things. But I do think that, you know, one thing that we learned from the Skyrim campaign, they had a base game that was like the most affordable edition if you just wanted to like get Skyrim and save as much money as possible by this version. Um, they were like, this one's complete. It doesn't have any stretch goals. And that actually, they changed their mind about a week in. They're like, okay, we are adding stretch goals to this because it was in such demand. So I, I think that GameFound is correctly leaning into what the user base has gotten used to. And I think that that shows innovation. It shows that they're actually listening to the community. And I think that that is really, they all that has to happen is a market shift and uh, you know just some, some change in 
what what's happening in the market and uh you know like interest rates all of a sudden rising and people changing their buying behavior or whatever for kickstarter to potentially lose quite a lot of market share because they've they've placed themselves in an area that they're at much more risk than they've been in the past thomas Hanusik asks how do you even start calculating international shipping will we cover that Ooh, that's a hard one. no but it's that's difficult my answer to that one is pretty simple though you need a third-party shipping logistics like fulfillment partners i would recommend like ShipQuest. In, yeah shipquest quartermaster logistics fun again uh, fulfillment those are three great companies to to go ask that question you really need to have a shipping fulfillment partner now there are also others that we're using for deliverance we're using vfi asia they're going to be our you know australian and and asian fulfillment center they they're pretty they're pretty awesome and then happy shops is a great fulfillment company for for us for the eu and there's aetherworks which is i think that that's australia new zealand if you want to get specific and there there are a couple others but i don't know why i'm blanking but those are the people you want to talk to how many copies of a game would you need to sell for that to be beneficial to you? Like, you know, I, I can see if you sold like a hundred copies, it may not be worth the money and you may, you know, be better off doing it yourself. Is there any yeah. kind of like cutoff or, or exchange where it's more beneficial to you or less beneficial to you? I would say it's, so I don't have a specific, like an actual number of to that. However, what I will say is plan, if you want to ship, you know, what they, what they call friendly, you know, like if you want to be EU friendly or UK friendly or whatever, that that's basically, that means that you're going to ship from within that region. So whatever amount of games you're going to have, you're going to ship them all into that region. And then the, and you'll pay, basically you'll pay the tax or the, uh, the import fees and the backer will only have to pay what they call the last mile shipping. So from the from the warehouse to their doorstep, that's what the backer is paying for. You can subsidize the cost of the shipping just in the price of your game. And, you know, many companies do that. But in general, it's tough to come up with a, with a number. I will say that some companies are finding it just not worthwhile to even include things like the European Union or... Australia or whatever, just because the of Brexit and everything that happened there, that's really kind of, you know, messed a lot of things up. And, you know, Australia is kind of an emerging market. It's not something that you're going to find thousands of backers from Australia. You may ship like 300 games into Australia, but at the costs that it, that it takes to just get a container onto a boat, it's really kind of tough to justify sometimes. So what a lot of backers are, or I mean, what a lot of creators are doing is they're, they're saying, oh, you know, we have friendly shipping. And then when they see the prices to actually to, you know, the backer pays whatever, 10 bucks or whatever for shipping, 20, I don't know, 30. They find out that it was actually like $50 per game to just get 100 games into Australia or something. That's not going to be good for your bottom line. So what they'll oftentimes do is they'll airship, which is, you know, maybe they had like 35 backers or 50 backers in Australia. They will airship games from, you know, China and only pay $30 a game. And they're losing money anyway. You know, if you're, unless you have a game that's like $200 or whatever, 
and you charge correctly and whatever, you're you're going to lose money on something like that. But you fulfill your obligation and you just are not going to put any extra stock in, into that area to sell in the future. So it's kind of a way to get to fulfill your obligation without losing loads of money because a hundred games at 50 bucks a game is going to be, you know, $5,000 of shipping, but you know, 35 games at 30 bucks each is, is obviously much less. So, um, it's, it's, you know, kind of a bummer, but that's the way a lot of creators are kind of adapting right now to the commitments they made in the past maybe before the shipping, before they really understood the ramifications of the shipping situation. So that's kind of my advice there. Just talk to Nigel at ShipQuest and he'll make your life uh, much easier. Better. Yeah. And mention our name because, you know, we he, he likes us and we want to, yeah, we're, we're best friends. So I asked this question in the community about goals. What goals do you guys have for the end of the year? Because we have a, you know, the month of December left. And, you know, what, what goals would you have for the end of the year? Because everyone wants to talk about like, oh, what are your goals for the new year? But there's a month left and you don't need to be lazy for 30 days before the, you know, before you you abandon your new year's goals, right? One of my personal goals that I found valuable is that I plan on responding personally to every single post that's made in the crowdfunding nerds group for the next month. So if you want to troll Andrew, just keep on posting yeah. <laughs> and you'll have to. One goal I have is I, I do want to start creating video content or start experimenting with video content, video ads. I think they're very powerful. After doing that video course, I think it's it's attainable. I've got a space upstairs now in my attic, which I can turn and it's quite a spacious area, which is great. So I have the possibility of converting that into a little film studio where I could then set up board games and little videos so i want to start experimenting with that so that's probably one of my my most pressing goals at the moment i think that would make a big difference um if we can create things like video courses or video ads i just think that that would you know benefit a greater amount of people it would also help us keep the lights on probably with you know if we had a video course that you know about marketing or something like that it'd be kind of fun yeah, that so. probably should be my my goal as well getting that video <laughs> course done well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.